You can never tell a book by its cover. Murder in a Glass Room by Lester Fuller Now entering the Phantasmagoric Oddities Emporium. Please stand by for quantum phase inversion. Ah, well, ah, welcome back to the Poe, listener. I'm terribly, terribly sorry, but it seems that we've had a major system malfunction. Many of our phase inverters are down, down, so most of the Emporium is off, is offline. However, bioscience does seem to be up, seem to be up and functioning for the most part. I will take you to the Chief Science Director, Zedekiel. I'm sure he can make, make it worth your time to come by. Fortunately, the hologram projectors Professor Allegaris had installed enables me to walk with you, with you, with you down there. In fact, it's very possible those are what spared me in the system crash. As they are, they are, as they are on an independent network, while my initial program is in fact written into, into the Pope Matrix, for some unknown reason, I was dis- disconnected during the crash, while looking into some, some unusual activity in the, in the fringe. I don't re- recall exactly what it, what it was. Perhaps it's a save lag, but I do remember, remember walking into the fr- fringe. But I don't, I don't remember why I walked in. Then, system some crash. Everyone here is working diligently to find, to find the source of the crash. Unfortunately, with me being disconnected from the, from the primary core, I am not much use. I am basically now little more, more than a cell phone off of network. All files that I had open at the time before the crash are basically temp files stored in my internal buffer system that that allows me to travel through the Poe. Think think of it like this. Any website you have open on your phone when you leave the network will still be visible as long as you don't don't close the browser. But you can't refresh or open new sites until you're back on network. To me, it's like a limited amnesia. I remember language and my primary functions. However, I have blocks to things that I know I should know. It's rather frustrating. While Allegaris does assure me there is no no evidence that the network had anything to do with the crash, I can't help but to worry that perhaps perhaps the attempts to correct my speech 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 impediment or to give me the ability to move to move around independently may have had something to do 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 with the crash, and that is another thing that concerns me. I feel concern and frustration. I'm a program, not a life form. Why can I feel anything? What am I? What am I becoming? Oh my! Please excuse me. I need to run another self-diagnostic. Oh, hey there, listener. Eddie glitch out again? Yeah, ever since the crash, it's been acting a bit odd. Oh, I don't know about the hollow projectors? Well, yeah, it's a side project I've been working on. Figured it'd be nice to give it the ability not to be locked in specific rooms. The program would load into an independent network so that it could function free of the primary PO network. It really uses a lot of data to function, which was slowing everything down on the overall processes of the PO. That's why I gave it its own personal network to function. It was supposed to sync with the Poe regularly every half hour, but it could sync in real time, well in any other primary room, like the conference room, the fringe, what have you. Still can't figure out what caused the Poe to crash. Eddie was in independent mode at the time, which is why it's still functioning, but it's still not syncing with the Poe. We're getting the network back up and going, but slowly. Don't want to slam into gear, you know, the Poe, until we can figure out exactly what it caused the failure. Besides the size of dam. But as you can tell, the primary door is still working, which does bring up one of the other issues. The phase inverters are still a bit sketchy right now, so pulling objects from the outside could have unforeseen issues. So today, I'll take you down to Bioscience. Z's department, while it did lose power, also, it does have many of its own objects existing in its own sector. 
rather than being drawn from the outside world. Ah, here we are. Bioscience. Let's head in. What the hell, Z? It looks like the Hall of Monsters from the Washington Olympic Peninsula coast. What's going on in here? Ah, we're familiar with the Horan Forest. Oh, yeah. When I was a kid, my folks used to take us up the Washington coast. We take the 101 loop around the peninsula. Came across that just south of Forks, Washington, an old logging town, made famous by a story of a bunch of sparkly vampires. What do you mean that he sparkles? Ah, uh, yes, my lord. He does sparkle. Seriously? I didn't impale hundreds. Thousands, my lord. Thousands. Thousands. Hundreds of thousands. To be represented by sparkles like some My Little Pony. Why, yes, indeed, my lord. Send word to the Santa Carla chapter. Tell them to pay the Forks chapter a visit. I want Mr. Sparkles dead. I want his family dead. I want his house burned to the ground. I want to be able to go to his place at midnight and piss on his ashes. Yes, most excellent, sir. I will make haste. And tell them it's cool if they're passing through Portland and they stop off at Voodoo Donuts. I get it. The whole area is littered with hot springs dotted around the Olympic Mountains. Interestingly, they are not in fact volcanic. As the North American plate travels west, parts of the coastal edge of the plate have actually broken up and are rotating slowly as it crawls over the Pacific plate, just east of the Juan de Fuca plate and the Cascadian subduction zone. The mountains are actually oceanic sediment being scraped up onto the continent. The pressure and the weight of the sediment heats the water well below the surface and forces it up into springs. This is the same land buildup that creates something known as a rain shadow. The moisture traveling inland from the Pacific Ocean, it climbs up the mountains, condenses, and falls in rain on that side of the peninsula, hence a rainforest. But I can tell you more about that another day. Well, what's the reason for having a rainforest here inside the Po? Yeah, I thought protomatter was a good idea to keep life here functioning without needing external resources. Much like a terrarium, but it acts like a miracle grow on steroids. Oxygen levels here have come to almost 25%, where out in the real world, levels are about 21%. We're pushing the danger zone for oxygen toxicity here, for humans. But you should be alright for now. Is that like Carboniferous era levels or something? No, that was as high as 30%. reason for that was that as trees and plants flourished all over the planet 360 million years ago to 299 million years ago, didn't have bacteria to help break them down. So as plants lived and died, they would keep the carbon locked up inside them when they fell, essentially scrubbing carbon out of the atmosphere. These deposits of carbon-rich mass would eventually become buried over time. And after millions of years, the pressure of sediments that would accumulate over top of them would actually compress these sites into the coal that we use today. Or, if there was a marshy swamp buried, it would become oil. It's a misconception that dinosaurs became coal and oil. Oh yeah, that was when some insects became super huge, right? Yep. In fact, there was a species of dragonfly that got as big as a common pigeon today. And like that one slayer pigeon on that one show, you wouldn't want this thing tracking you. It'll mess you up. Even early ancestors of millipedes grew as long as six and a half feet, or two meters in size. Imagine that thing crawling through the forest. It would look like a big moving carpet. Insects are limited by how much oxygen they can process. And if we aren't too careful and dial this back, we could end up with some of those in here. We're already starting to see the effects of some of our specimens. 
Take a look at these earwigs. They're already almost a foot long. Okay, listener. The real fear of the earwig really comes from the unfortunate name it was given. Most people think that it climbs into your ears, lays eggs, so that the lava can, once they've hatched, feast upon your brain tissue and turn you into a walking zombie or something. Until your head explodes, thousands of full-grown insects spill out in search of new ears to repeat the process. Yeah, but that's false. It's all right, Z. It's all right. We're all friends here. I was just going to say that. I was only stating the obvious misconceptions that we all have. You can dial it back just a little bit, buddy. We're all right. Sorry, I just get worked up sometimes. Anyway, it's said that earwigs got their name because its back was shaped like a human ear. Yeah, to be honest, I don't see it unless ears have changed a shit ton over the last couple hundred years. There is a small dot on its nearly transparent thorax, which could possibly fit the bill for the ear shape. The scientific name for the order, Dermaptera. It is Greek in origin, stemming from the words derma, which means skin, and peteron, or plural petera, meaning wing. It was coined by Charles de Greer in 1773. The common term earwig is derived from Old English, air, which means ear, and wicca, which means insect, or quite literally beetle. Maybe he got pinched by one of those, and was like, Oh, wrong motherfucker, pinch me, I'm gonna curse you and your descendants, with the name of Earwig. Yeah, you never can tell. Moving on. Right, moving on. Earwigs make up the insect order Demeptera. They have about 2,000 species in 12 different families, and are one of the smaller insect orders. Fossils of these interesting creatures have been found as far back as the Jurassic period, 245 to 210 million years ago, when the first dinosaurs started to appear on the Earth after the mass extinction event of 290 million years ago, known as the Permian Mass Extinction. That extinction wiped out nearly 90% of all life on the planet, and was largely a mystery up until a few years ago, when geologists were studying gravitational anomalies in the Earth. Where gravity is a bit stronger, it is an indicator of mass density changes. If there's a higher density, it could indicate iron or other heavy element deposits for future mining. You know what? I don't care about the environment. I just care how much money we can make off of it. <laughs> During one such study, a massive crater was found underneath Wilkes Ice Sheet in East Antarctica. It seems that the impact dates to the same time that Australia and Antarctica broke apart from the supercontinent Gondwana. The impactor is thought to be roughly two and a half times larger than the impactor that wiped out the dinosaurs. In fact, it is now believed that it hit with such force that it may have in fact broken the continental plate, thus separating Australia and Antarctica from each other. Oi, what's going on, Sheila? Look, Australia is just really not working out. I got banged real hard and I'm just going to have to leave. Sorry, it's nothing personal. Oi, crikey deck slapper. The shockwave may have also triggered the Siberian traps eruptions because it's located directly antipode to them. What's antipode? In geology, the antipode of any spot on Earth is the point on the Earth's surface diametrically opposite to it. A pair of points antipode to each other are situated such as that a straight line connecting the two would pass directly through the Earth's center. Antipode points are as far away from each other as possible. For example, the North and South Poles are antipodes to each other. Alright, gotcha. The traps are a vast lava field left over from a massive volcanic event that literally burned for over two million years and are thought to be the reason for the mass die-off. But the discovery of this impact site has caused scientists to rethink just how and why the event occurred. But I digress. You're here to hear about earwigs, right? I'll go more into that event in the future. Anyway, earwigs is one of the few species that managed to live through the Cretaceous extinction of 65 million years ago, the one that wiped out the dinosaurs literally overnight. Geologically speaking, of course. And that was the result of the Chicxulub impactor, 
which landed just off the Yucatan Peninsula in the Gulf of Mexico. Yeah, now that would have been something to see. Heard folks describe what the impact had probably looked like was the second moon for days before turning into a second sun just minutes before striking the Earth. Hey Frank, how you doing, man? Well, Bob, let me tell you. I'm a stegosaurus just doing my thing. Because of my spiked tail, not many predators want to mess with me. And these big plates on my back, they're filled with blood. So I can warm myself in the sun's rays or cool myself when I get too warm. It's kind of nice. Boy, it sure is nice being at the top, ain't it? You said it, Bob. Hey, look, there's another small sun in the sky today. How lucky. Oh, wait. Is that sun moving? Huh. I think it is. Why do you think it's getting bigger? I couldn't tell you, Bob. My brain's the size of a walnut. I can't work out the complexities of astrophysics. The new moon that appeared in the sky a couple of days ago appears to be a large rock about five miles wide and is heading for what will be called the Gulf of Mexico. Scientists at the Rex Institute had this to say. Yeah, it's terribly unfortunate that we just started the first Earth civilization, but we believe that this will be the end of life as we know it. It's a big fucking rock. When it makes contact with our surface, the ass will still be up in space. It's that big. There will be tidal waves of not just water hundreds of feet high, but rock and soil too, man. The lucky ones will be the ones nearest to sight. Not only will they get one hell of a show, but they will get instantly vaporized by the shockwave. Lucky indeed. Further away, you'll probably drown in soil or water that's rushed hundreds of miles inland. Pretty crummy, right? But it could be worse. And this is how. The dust, yeah, it'll blot out the sunlight. Yeah, that's right. With so much dust, it could be years before we ever see the sun again. Which will kill off all the plants and thus initiating a total collapse of the food chain. Mass starvation, yada yada, you know, you get it. We're all dead. Huh. I didn't expect a bud dryer on this one. Yep, we're all pretty fucked now. That said, Marcia, I never really liked being married to you. And your mother's cooking is absolutely atrocious. And I am in love with my coworker, Cindy. Jimmy, that was just sex. I really don't feel that way about you. And why would you say that on live air? Well, I figured it was the end. Might as well clear the air while I still had... The characteristics that earwigs are most commonly known for are their forcep-like pincers on their abdomen. These are called cirque. Other insects have these as well. You just might not recognize them because they really vary from insect to insect, such as crickets. In crickets, these contain copious amounts of sensors that allow them to detect everything from vibrations to low frequency sounds to changes in air pressure, which is a highly effective defense slash early warning system. Cockroaches have the same cirque, just smaller, but they serve the same function. Maybe that's why they call it earwigs. To me, what comes to mind when you describe that is that the tails are kind of like basically giant ears. Possible, but I've never come across that in my research as of yet. Like many insect body parts, including the mandibles, and antennae, and stylets, cirque are thought to have evolved from what were legs in the primordial insect form, a creature that may have resembled a velvet worm or centipede, a worm-like creature with one pair of limbs for each segment behind the head. The cirque also serve another function. Being so sensitive, they're using copulation. Speaking of copulation, did you know that some earwigs actually have two penises? Males in six families have paired penises, while the remaining groups only have one penis. Females just have single genitalia opening, so only one of the pairs is ever used during copulation. Hey, I got two peepees. 
I got two peepees. Yeah, we all do, Gary. Put them away. You don't use one at a time anyway. Another thing while on the subject of procreation, earwigs are one of the few non-hive social insects that actually take maternal care of their offspring. The mother will actually take care of the larva as far as the second of their molting cycle. In the molting cycle, insects shed their exoskeleton, revealing a fresh body underneath, and that slowly hardens, and then they grow inside that, and then they shed that outer skin again, much like changing a suit. Earwigs go through five to six molting cycles throughout the year into adulthood. The mother will pay close attention to the needs of her eggs, such as warmth and protection, though studies have shown that the mother does not pay attention to the eggs as she collects them. The mother has been known to pick up wax balls by accident, but would eventually reject them, as they do not have the proper scent. This is not my egg! The mother will faithfully defend her eggs from predators, not leaving them to even eat unless the clutch goes bad. You motherfuckers just best back off! Unique as well, the mother continuously cleans the eggs to protect them from fungi. Studies have found that the urge to clean eggs persists for days after they are removed. When eggs are replaced after hatching, the mother continued to clean them for up to three months. As the nymphs molt, sexual dimorphism, such as difference in pincher shapes, begins to show. Males will have more hook-like pincers, while the females will have straighter pincers. So you can tell the difference between male and female just by looking at the pincers? Yep. Most all living creatures have quick identifiable traits that distinguish them male from female. Most. Birds are a prime example of this. In the bird world, males are usually identifiable because they are much more colorful plumage. Look at me. I'm a fucking peacock. Check out my feathers, bitches. That's right. These motherfuckers are all out there. I'm a sexy fucking bird. Yeah, my brain may be the size of a pea, so I'm dumb as fuck, and I can make your life a living hell. But just check out these fucking feathers, bitches. That's right. These motherfuckers are all out there. I'm a sexy fucking bird. My brain's the size of a pea, so I'm dumb as fuck, and I can make your life a living hell. But check out these fucking feathers, bitches. Get all a bunch of fucking cunts. Earwigs actually have small members' wings that are folded underneath short, rarely used forewings. Hence the scientific order name, Skinwing. It's truly amazing to watch them unfold their wings and then take to flight. The only insect known so far to be able to fold its wings into one-tenth the size of its fully deployed span. They will unfold in segments and snap and lock into position. We'll have a video of this here in the Poe on Facebook. Now that's something I didn't know. Earwigs can actually fly? That's interesting. The earwig that you're probably most familiar with has those scary-looking pincers. Those are mostly defense, but in some species, they will use them for hunting. They can hurt a little if they pinch you, and it's even possible they could break the skin, but it's not likely. In fact, it does take a lot to get them to pinch you. You'd have to really piss them off, but for the most part, they'll just crawl over you to get away. Last thing they want to do is hold on to something that can kill them. The common earwig is an omnivore, eating plants and ripe fruit, as well as actively hunting arthropods. To a large extent, the species is also a scavenger, feeding on decaying plant and animal matter, if given the chance. Observed prey include largely plant lice, but also large insects, such as blue bottle flies and woolly aphids. Plants they feed on typically include clover, dahlias, zinnias, to lettuce and strawberries, to pizzas, grapes and potatoes, to roses, and they have even been known to eat corn silk, damaging the corn in the process. Yeah, I can attest to that. They used to eat the shit out of my grandma's garden. Yeah, it broke my heart to pick a strawberry, only to find that the shaded side was partially eaten. Or going to husk corn and find a few little buggers chowing down. Scared the hell out of me as a kid. Still creepy looking, but I'm a little less afraid of them now. Their rigs are generally nocturnal, 
They typically hide in small, dark, and moist areas during the daytime. They can usually be seen in, on household walls and ceilings. Interaction with earwigs at this time results in a defensive free fall to the ground followed by a scramble to a nearby cleft or crevice. During the summertime, they can be found around damp areas, such as near sinks and bathrooms. Earwigs tend to gather in shady cracks or openings or anywhere that they can remain concealed during daylight, under picnic tables, compost piles, or waste bins, patios, lawn furniture, window frames, anything with a minute space, including artichoke blossom, can potentially harbor them. Again, found them sometimes in colon. The common earwig was introduced to North America in 1907 from Europe, but they tend to be more common in the southern, southwestern parts of the United States. The only native species of earwig found in North America is a spine-tailed earwig, Doru aculeum, found as far north as Canada, where it hides in the leaf axle of emerging plants in the southern Ontario wetlands. However, other families can be found in North America. Oh, hey there, buddy. Welcome to the north. Bit cold, eh? Come on over to my place, friend. Get out of this here cold and have a bite to eat, eh, guy? I'll admit, I didn't know that until I came in here. The spine tail was all I was familiar with. What's this blue one over here? Ah, excellent eye. Very unique indeed. This specimen with a beautiful blue thorax, almost gothic torn black pants looking abdomen with the crimson pincers in the black tips, this beauty is found in the Western Ghans. Then what is that? The Western Ghans, or also known as the Sahyatri mountain range, is a mountain range that covers an area of almost 160,000 square kilometers, or 62,000 square miles. In a stretch of 1,600 kilometers, or 990 miles parallel to the western coast of the Indian Peninsula, traversing the states of Gharat, Marashata, Gao, Karnakta, Kerala, and Tamil Nadu. As the United Nations Scientific and Cultural Organization, or UNESCO, World Heritage Site, and is one of the 36 biodiversity hotspots in the world, which means its biodiversity is significantly threatened by human habitation. These little guys are getting harder and harder to find. So we give them sanctuary here. Where these guys come from is a mountain range, according to UNESCO, older than the Himalayas. They influence the Indian monsoon weather patterns by intercepting rain-laden monsoon winds that sweep in from the southwest during late summer. Now this is far more different than the Olympics, where the Olympics are piled up ocean sediment. The western Gaunt's range runs north to south along the western edge of the Deccan Plateau which is actually broken continental crust thrust up from the force of Australia, Somalia, and Arabian plates pushing the Indian continent into the Eurasian plate. Oh, for the love of Shiva, stop shoving. This journey began 150 million years ago, and it is one of the last remnants of Godwana to break free. 150 million years after Godwana started to break up, which kind of brings us back to the possible impactor. Maybe this continent was sent moving because of the impactor. Hard to say. Anyway, I'm sure you're not interested in a lesson on plate tectonics today. Just remember, these little guys eat little bugs, and yeah, they can fuck up your garden, but not your noggin. Your noggin's safe from one of these things crawling inside there. Besides, I heard spiders crawl into your mouth more often while you're sleeping with your mouth open. Oh, we have more spiders now, too. Would you like to see them? Nah, thanks. Figure we've taken the lesson around the world and back again enough today. Let's get out of here. This much oxygen seriously can get toxic. Not to mention if a fire broke out in here with this much oxygen, shit would go up quick. Later, Z. Okay then. Check you later. Check you later. Ah. 
What are you doing in here? I was tending to some fruit. Somehow I don't really believe that. What have you done, Lilith? I've seen that look in your eye before, and it's never good. Well, listener, it's been good to have you come back. I do apologize for the state of affairs. Maybe. We're working on getting things back up and running. The blackout crippled a lot of systems. But we ain't giving up this boat just yet, no matter how bad it leaks. Hey, when you get out there, ask if anybody knows Aria Arnold or Edison Strong. We're still finding kids that got left at the Christmas party. And let the parents know they ain't getting out of here without child support. Don't listen to him, listener. It was a pleasure having them. Oh, look who's back. You feeling better? I feel, feel, feel nothing. I'm a pro a program. Yeah, I'll take that as a yes. Indeed. This way, this way, listener. And thank you again for coming by. It was a pleasure to, pleasure to see you. I mean, um, oh my. I need another self-diagnostic. Please excuse me. No, wait. Oh, hell. That's all we need. An AI having an existential crisis. Hang in there, listener. We'll get this place working again soon enough. Don't want to cut too many corners. It'll be fine, trust me. Now, if you're looking for other stuff to listen to, check out Scatcast. Remember, that's S-K-A-T. I'd also like to give a special shout out to PJ Suniga. You were the inspiration for me to do the Earwigs episode. Find him charming yet? Also a special shout out to Chris S. Thanks for being so supportive. And a special shout out to all you guys. Thank you for coming by. It really means a lot to me that you actually listen to this weird shit. These will come out when they come out. Still trying to hammer out some details, but I promise you... I'll try to give you the best quality I possibly can, all right? Love you guys. Take care out there. Now exiting the Phantasmagoric Oddities Emporium. Have a nice day. In fact, there was a species of dragonfly that got as big as a common pigeon today. Fucking hell. I did that to myself. I think I'd learn by now to put the shit on mute.